This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Jake Avila, welcome to Better Reading. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. Now, Jake is a freelance or was a freelance journalist and secondary English teacher for 10 years before becoming a full-time writer. He has a BA in writing and information technology. His latest book, Cave Diver, is an action thriller, and that's what we're talking about today, about a cave diving expedition deep in the Papuan jungle. It won the Wilbur Smith Adventure Writing Prize in 2020. Congratulations. Thank you, Cheryl. Yeah, it was a real thrill. Yeah. Tell me how that came about. Yeah, well, the year before I'd entered the novel, I'd self-published because I couldn't get an agent or a publisher. And so I'd entered into the American Adventure Writers Association competition and won that. So I travelled to America and got the Clive Cussler Grand Master Award and it was very exciting and I got a nice plug from Dirk Cussler, but it didn't really translate into more many more sales. Yeah. So my father spotted the Wilbur Smith competition. So I, I reworked the novel again based on the feedback, entered that, and to my great joy won. And it's been a it's been fairly transformative because all of a sudden it was like um everybody wanted it. Yeah, and, and I got a I got a proper book deal and you know manuscript development. Okay, so talk to me about what the book's about and why cave diving. Yeah, look, Cave Diver is the story of Rob Nash. He's a an acclaimed underwater explorer who is struggling to cope with the death of his wife in a controversial diving accident. So he's a sort of a bit of a flawed hero and he accepts a contract to travel to the lost world of Papua in search of a legendary underwater cavern. But what he doesn't know is that the organisers are actually a criminal syndicate in search of a World War II Japanese sub stuff with gold. And from there it sort of turns into a bit of a white knuckle fight for survival. He's got to take on man-eating crocs tribes out for payback, ruthless criminals, uh, a labyrinth, and ultimately the only way he's ever going to get out of there is to confront his demons in the darkness below. So it's sort of a it's a psychological thriller. It's an action-adventure thriller, um, and it's also a bit of a redemptive quest. And why did you set it? Is diving something that you're interested in? Have you... Because there's, when you read it, you feel that obviously you know a lot more about diving than I do, if you like. <laughs> like you really get a sense that you're underwater a lot. Yes, well, I, I, I did do scuba diving years ago. Right. But my I'm not a cave diver. And but the, the reason that I can write about it is that two things. First, years ago, I did a story on cave diving for Inside Sport, a feature article, and I travelled to Mount Gambia. And I can remember climbing down this strange ladder in the middle of a, a paddock, ending up in this sort of like grotto and watching these people, you know, submerge through a muddy hole. And I can tell you as someone who gets a little bit tetchy just walking onto that submarine at Darling Harbour, 
my my respect for them was enormous and i and, and what it also did was consolidate the story that had been fermenting in my mind because i'd always had this this idea about world war 2 artifacts turning up in papua new guinea or the island of new guinea and uh and i sort of and i'd always thought you know imagine finding some enormous vessel submarine in a cave and and seeing what the cave divers did i realized i had my you know, incredible protagonist. Yeah. I mean, it's a very dangerous sport, isn't it? It is. It's, a, it's an extremely um, dangerous sport. And, I mean, I'd almost call it a pursuit. Yeah. Because, because it's so, yeah. um, they are like, uh, it's been described as inner space. You are completely reliant on your equipment. Yeah. And even more on your, psych- on your psychology and having read everything I can on cave diving, even tremendously experienced divers can suffer uh, a panic attack when something goes wrong, uh, equipment failure, silt out, losing the line, yeah. all sorts of things. So it's sort of, I guess, one of my, when I was a freelance journalism, I concentrated on extreme sports, partly because of my fascination for what they do. Yeah. And, and to try and sort of turn that experience into something that people could understand and experience. I'm not very sporty, but I did go scuba diving once years and years ago, and my conclusion was that we weren't meant to be down there. (laughs) (laughs) I really kind of thought, oh, whoa. I mean, I love water, but that's a different experience entirely. It is. Yes, I'm the same, yeah. Now talk to me about how writing came to you. So you've been a freelance journalist, you've been an English teacher, so you've had a relationship with words and reading and writing for a long time, haven't you? That's right, Cheryl. I mean, looking back, in the benefit of hindsight, I think I've, I now understand I've always been a storyteller. When I was a child, it was cartoons and Jake's going to be a cartoonist. Uh, and then as I grew old and I went to graphic design college with a sort of view of doing that in the 80s, then it sort of fell away. And it wasn't until I was a mature age student, I went back to university to do IT and multimedia, and it was then that I realised that what I really excelled at was the, the writing component, and that led to a couple of novels. I got a bit of ancient interest from New York, which was very exciting at the time. So when did you start writing, years ago now? I think, I think yeah, I, ha- I sort of had this, I began about 2005, or sorry, 2002, so for about four or five years while I juggled uni, I was writing then I got into freelance journalism because I was trying to find a way to make it pay. But at the end of the day, with a family to raise and my wife was doing the heavy lifting, I thought, okay, got to get real. So got into teaching, and which was, you know, great. But there was always that little thing niggling away that, that this is really what I should be doing. Mm. So it was long service leave from teaching that sort of thought, right, now I'm going to take that opportunity to write that novel that had been sitting there for, you know, 15 to 20 years. And did you, even though you dreamt about writing, I mean, I mean, I guess writing journalism was a really short form, so when you finally took that long service leave and decided that you're going to have a go, were you surprised at the enormity of the task, for instance? Because I always think, you know, I mean, you're sitting there, you're writing, I don't know, 60,000, 80,000, 100,000 words. Well, that's the goal, right? Yeah, look, it, it was, it, I think it's one of those things where I think you learn, you obviously have to take that leap of faith and, and learn by doing. And I think it was good that I had the prerogative of a clock ticking to drag that first draft out of me because a lot of the time. Meaning, meaning that you've taken time off and so you had an end date. That's yep. it. I had about 10 weeks and yeah. I just thought, right, I'm, I'm going to just get it out. 
and and uh, I had you know all my index cards you know on the floor on the ceiling. So you only I, had ten weeks. Yeah, for that was for the first draft. Yes. Yeah. And, wow. Um, and and I, so I achieved that, and then I guess the journey from there was friends and family beta reading. I got a manuscript assessment. You know, it had several evolutions. The novel and it sort of shrank from one twenty to you know, to 112 and then it became 90. I think it ended up at 100 after working with the editors at Bonnier. So, yeah, it's been, but it was one of those things where um, I think, yeah, I've learned a hell of a lot beforehand, but also doing it. I think most novelists would agree there's a there's a, there's a sense of anxiety. and. This is your first out. novel, your first published novel. First published novel. Uh, I had a Australian horror sort of novel that I wrote years ago, vampire novel, never saw the light of day. And I had a paranormal romance that I'm glad never saw the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> That's the case. Um, so, you know, that I think, I guess so I had, I had tried, I had created, I had written a novel before, but they were a bit, they weren't there yet. So your path to publishing was entering those competitions. Is that right? Absolutely. Because yeah. one of the things. That's really that- interesting because that's, I mean, I know writers do do that, but that's often, you know, people do writing courses or they start entering every possible writing competition that they can. And I guess that's the path that you took. Uh, yes, I feel like I I'm, I'm feel very fortunate f- for winning those competitions because, as I said, 15 years ago, this fairly average paranormal romance got me some agent attention. So when I wrote Cave Driver, I thought, fantastic, now I've got a commercial product. I'm sure someone will be interested. And I was sort of devastated really when, it was just, I just hit this void and that's what I, so when I went self-publishing, I started to call self-publishing on the internet the void, a place where no one can hear you scream. Talk to me about that because it's really interesting. It is a path that many people have to take because, as you know, being published is not that easy. The difference, what I see, and you can correct me because you've, you've had the experience in both markets, I guess, with self-publishing, it is the editorial, because publishers like uh, your publisher, Echo, or Bonnier, it's the, the weight that they put behind that story in terms of their experience, their editorial experience, their publishing experience, their marketing experience, their distribution experience. So when you, often when I read self-published manuscript, they don't have you can see that when you read them. Oh, absolutely. Would There's, you agree with that? I totally agree with that. And, and yeah. it was one of the really challenging things about the experience of winning the Wilbur Smith was um, essentially there was a short list of five and yeah. those five were all given manuscript development and three months to improve the, the manuscript for final judging. And I'd had some very positive feedback. And then when I finally got the report back from the manuscript guy, I actually remember writing to him, but do you like anything? Because it was like he, he literally, I had to basically unstitch five years of work and, and rebuild it from the ground up. And it was still the same character, still the same story, but there was the plot was too complicated and things needed to be emphasised. And, and I guess the other thing is, yeah, that polish, that editorial judgement and that support while you're going through that, it was just like a breath of fresh air, like that, that doubt you know, it's so suddenly it's collaborative. You're not chugging away on your own in a, in, the, in a corner. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I've I've only ever watched the process happen from afar, the relationship between author and editor or author and publisher, depending on what you call them. But it is, as you're describing, Jake, it, it's kind of like a bird's eye view over your work, isn't it, to start it, with? Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and I was also really, I guess it was a, 
because I understood how hard it is to get published, I was like, I'll do whatever you want, you know. <laughs> because <laughs> also, I mean, I know that there are authors, and you might have yeah. been earlier on, that are resistant to the editorial process. But what I say to people when they come to me and ask me, because I get asked very often about experiences like that, is it's all in your best interest. They're not going to go and publish the story. <laughs> like Absolutely. they're helping yeah. you to make that better and more marketable and they're giving you their experience in that. Absolutely. I, I think had I not had so much, you know, struggle to get any kind of attention, I might have been more resistant. I mean, you know, we had the odd little sort of, you know, conversation and most of the time I conceded, you know, gracefully and occasionally push back a little bit and, you know, and, yeah. and, but, and at the end but of the day. But that's the relationship, isn't it? It's kind of like it is. That's, forward. Yeah. That's what a collaboration is and, yes. and, I, and I feel and it's it's just been so wonderful to have it's validating, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot, there's a leap of faith in writing, especially when you give up a career and your partner has got to carry a pretty heavy load and, you know, they've got a lot of faith in you, but it's like there's a clock ticking and, and there's that voice of doubt can grow. So um, I feel really fortunate to have won those competitions and to have had that support. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I've spoken to hundreds of authors um, yeah. over the years, particularly in, on the podcast in the last couple of years, but even before that. And I often think, why on earth would you choose that occupation? <laughs> One, it's solitary. Yeah. Two, as you say, Jake, it's just so not easy. It's not easy to get published. I mean, I, I spoke to this author once and she got 100 rejections and she yeah. kept going until she was published. She kept going and she said to me, I just saw it as a learning. I saw it as an experience. But really that requires a lot of resilience to keep going. And then when you finally do get published right, and you put your book out there, then everyone has an opinion. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I think, yeah, you've got to want to do it. You've really yeah. got to want to do it because if you can't dabble, can you? No, you can't. And I, and I guess that was my early experience of writing. Yeah, sure, I was good for you know five or six, ten pages, but to kind of push beyond just just the kind of the syntax, sentence, paragraph level to to understand story, and I'm still learning how to do that. The current novel I'm working on now, it's like I'm, I've got a pad beside my bed so that it, that morning subconscious, when it throws something up, I'm there to grab it before it vanishes, yeah. you know, and I've got I've got all those, you know, what's and what ifs and how do I do that and, oh, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. This isn't going to make you feel any better, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. <laughs> I spoke to Lee Child a few years back, yeah. back when we were speaking to people one-on-one. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I don't know how many novels he's written, but, you know, a quite a lot. A lot. <laughs> and he said to me, it never gets easier. Every yeah. time he sits down to write his next one, it's yeah. the same self-doubt. It's the same discipline. You know, going back to what I said, it's when the author is doing the promotional tour and talking about the book, it looks easy. Yes. But, you know, when you're doing the hard slog in your office by yourself, it's hard. And even I think the promotional tour is hard because a lot of authors, you know, they're solitary people. Very Absolutely. Often, very often that's why yeah. they're writing, you know. Yeah. Um, and then we put them out there on this publicity track. And that's another thing that you've got to learn, right? It's absolutely, yeah. And I've, I'm definitely a, 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 probably an introvert. When I was yeah. a teacher, it did teach me. I had to learn how to to discard that and to sort of speak to groups. And I'm, and it's like you know, it's that neural plasticity. The mm. more you do something, the easier it gets. So hopefully, hopefully, I'll get better at interviews. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm sure you will. I mean, yeah. you know, most most authors pull it off in the end. Yeah. So tell me how it was that you got published. Was it after being noticed with the Wilbur Smith Award? So, and how did you feel? I, well, the first thing I had a, after winning the Wilbur Smith, like essentially they what they they had a caveat that it was a fifteen thousand pound English pound publishing deal if they deemed the story publishable. There could be a winner who didn't get published. So at our very first editorial meeting, I was sort of keen to, um, to, to say, you really do want to publish this, right? You know, I, did, I wanted it to be real. And they assured me that, yeah, we believe in the book. So, you know, that was my first experience of, of getting published. And were you just completely elated? Yeah, I was. I, I, I was sort of pinching myself and trying not to get too excited. I'm still trying to do that. You're trying to keep your feet on the ground and just keep the, keep the shit moving and keep the other pro- program going but um yeah I'm, I was thrilled and yeah. um and very hopeful because I feel like this is what I'm really good at I've always been a creative person and I've, I've displayed it in various fields but I think this is where I can do my best work and do you call yourself well you do don't you a full-time writer now I do, yeah, and that was, yeah. I, I guess, you know, you could add to that a bit of part-time HSC English marking. Yeah. You know, like I've, yeah, done, yeah. I've, done a bit, I've done a, been doing that for the last few years. Don't really want to go back into a classroom again. Talk to me about the discipline of writing. I, I saw an interview with Harlan Coburn recently where he talked about one of the biggest challenges of being a writer was going to your desk mm-hmm. and being in a fantasy world while the real world's outside the window and I could totally relate to that. The, the, most days it's like going to a job. It's not like, oh, wow, I can't wait to get my fingers on that keyboard. It's like there's a resistance. Like you want to tell a story, it's in there, but it's such a grind to get it out. So for me it's I've done word count before. I've, I've sort of said 2,000 words a day, but inevitably I find that I write about maybe a 1,000, but I spend half the day editing the day before. I'm trying to get more uh, flexible because I know that, you know, you don't want to sort of spend hours writing stuff that might never see the light of day. So I'm trying to get better at throwing down the structure and then evaluating and then polishing. So do you enter it every day, like you go into your study and you think, okay, well, this is a work day and this is my plan for the day? Yeah, basically I'll, I'll go in there. And the other challenge I have is balancing 
research. Like I, I sort of learned with cave oh, diving yeah. that if I do too much research that's not directly linked to the plot or the story, you can waste a lot of hours there. The, mm. the, the converse is that when you're in writing mode and you suddenly think, oh, you know, what's that, what's the geology of limestone, you know, and then you start going down that rabbit hole, you can easily find an hour goes past and then you've lost the thread of the writing. So for me, I haven't got a, a really clear formula yet. I do, I do editing, writing and research every day. But the best days are when you're really just writing freely and the story's starting to take hold. They're exciting, those mm. days. And it might be that's the style that you stick with. It could, it could definitely be, yeah. Yeah. Now, tell me, do you think this genre is for you? Do you think that that's, they're the stories? I mean, I often wonder, some authors write a different book, an entirely different genre every single time, and other authors stay with the same genre. You know, they stay with crime or they stay with commercial women's fiction or whatever. What do you think for you that that's going to be? Do you like the storytelling of the adventure? Yeah, I mean, the two things there, Cheryl, is that, I mean, this is adventure and people are comparing it to Clive Custler and Matthew Riley, which is, you know, I take that as a compliment. But what I'd also also say is that I think one of the things that sets possibly my stories apart is there's a bit more of an interior journey and I think that the heroes are more contemporary. It's like they're not Navy SEALs, they're not military, they're civilian They've got a, a redemptive journey that they're on. So there's a psychological depth there that I think adds something to that adventure genre. And secondly, uh, there, there, I have been, you know, as I understand it from the publishers, they want me to write more adventure stories. They see me as fitting the, that brief in their listing. And I'm happy to do that because I'm going to, you know, seize this opportunity with both hands. Um, having said that, the last two years I wrote a speculative fiction part one of a trilogy and you know and I'm, I can't just sort of wave that goodbye so I'll also be looking to to get that out there because I feel like it's very contemporary it's about you know the collapse of civilization climate change you name it going mm-hmm. in 100 years into the future and I and I feel like it's it's you know it's very close to where my brain is at the moment what do you like reading I'm a fairly wide reader. Like I like the escapism of the thriller genre. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like a holiday read, but I also like literary novels. Could being an English teacher and teaching literature. So, I mean, one of the stories that I was thinking about the other day was Heart of Darkness by Conrad. It's probably one of my favourite books for a number of reasons. It's sort of an analogy. It's a metaphor. It's a it's a critique of imperialism and society. Um, recently read a, a, a great thriller um, by oh, Anthony Quinn, the, um, oh, sorry, it's gone. <laughs> but, you know, like I'm, I'm fairly eclectic, you know, and, and I read a lot of nonfiction history as well. I've always been fascinated particularly by early 20th century. So I read a lot of, you know, World War One, World War Two type related material. And- History, I think, is often the research component, isn't it? Because, you know, I'd imagine as a writer it would give you so many ideas. It does. It's constantly it's constantly yeah. stimulating ideas. Mm. And, um, and, yeah, and that was, you know, I think I've always been drawn to that era and having grandparents who, were, you know, served in the military or experienced the war in England, yeah, it's always, it's always fascinated me. 
Mm. And so can I ask you what your what subject the next book is, the next adventure book is? Yeah, it's a sequel. Um, I, I had a couple of ideas, but the publishers were keen on a sequel. So it's um, I'm picking up the Rob Nash story after he um, returns and uh, it's sort of set in the Southern Ocean. So it's going to be very cold and windy. Yeah. Wow. Looking forward <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah. Jake, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for the opportunity, Cheryl. Great to be here. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.